I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 34. Start reading. Protecting the innocence of children. I think it is definitely safe to say, you know, people are always like, you know, things are more difficult now than they ever were. But, you know, really every time has had uh, their own set of challenges. And it's, it's always been difficult to do right. But I do think for sure, when it comes to protecting the innocence of our children, that it is way more difficult today than it ever was. And for many reasons, we're going to talk about some of those. But in Genesis chapter 34, verse 1 and 2, I want to show you just a couple verses there, and then we'll read two verses and I'll tell you a little bit about what happens after that. But it says, And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. And if you read this, if you continue to read the story, Shechem he falls, you know, he falls in love with Dinah after laying with her, and he ends up going to his father and it's like, hey, I want her for a wife. And so Shechem's father goes to Jacob and says, hey, you know, let your daughters marry our sons, and our sons marry your daughters, and you know, let's be one people together. And uh, they said, you know what? They kind of, I guess, almost play a little trick on him. And I'll let you read the story about that. And then two of Jacob's sons went and killed all of them. And it wasn't necessarily uh, how God wanted them to handle it. Jacob, of course, was not very happy with them. Jacob, if you read the blessings that he gave his children, I believe it was Simeon and Levi that did it, uh, he uh, brought that up when they killed those people. And you know it's interesting because the Messiah came from the tribe of Judah, and Judah was number four. And I think Reuben, he messed it up. If you read uh, when he defiled, when he went and lay with his father's concubine, I think that kind of that hurt him. Uh, Simeon and Levi, when they went and killed all those people, that got them in trouble. And then Judah was the next one. And he's the one that uh, Jacob prophesied that the Messiah would come from. And you know maybe it could have been Levi or Simeon, but they kind of lost their temper here. But we're talking about Dinah. Notice how it says that she decided she wanted to go see the daughters of the land. And it doesn't say exactly what she was looking for, but I mean, really, when you stop and think about it, we've got a young girl here that is from a special people. This is Israel when there was only a handful of them. This is. And, but they were a special people separated to God. But she wanted to see the people that lived among them. She wanted to see the daughters. And I don't know what it meant. Maybe she wanted to go and see what the other girls were wearing these days. Or you know, see what the other girls in this land do. And while she was there amongst these people that were wicked people that they were really supposed to have anything to do with, she ended up being defiled. And notice it doesn't say that it doesn't seem to appear that she was raped in this situation. It appears that uh, she kind of went along with this, and she ended up being defiled. And whatever happened to Dinah after that, I, I really don't know. Uh, many times when a daughter was defiled like that, uh, they wouldn't give her. You know, she would never get married later on. I, re- I really, the Bible doesn't say what happened to her, but she was wanting to see what was going on. And you know what? Kids are naturally curious about what's going on in the world and with other people. And protecting children's innocence. Today, I, I, I do believe it's more difficult than ever before with things like television, uh, the internet, 
I mean, our our ability to travel. I don't think there's been any other time as difficult as it is today to protect their innocence. And the early loss, the earlier they lose that innocence too, the more devastating the impact it has on them. And you know, there are some things that we just cannot help. So there is so much junk out in, out in this world. But there are really, I think a lot of the problems that do cause them to lose their innocence are things that we can help. And so I want to talk tonight about protecting the innocence of children, how they can keep it, and really said even though it's almost impossible to keep them completely innocent, there are some things we can do just to help them uh, to just battle the influences of the world. But first of all, in the Old Testament, I want you to notice God's command for the Old Testament. Because it is a little different than what it is now in the New Testament age. But in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they weren't even supposed to live among the heathen. And you don't have to turn there, but in Jeremiah 10 verse 1 it says, Hear ye the word of the Lord, uh, which the, or hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of the heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain, for one cut of the tree out of the forest, the work of the hands, the workmen, and with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go. Talking about idols. They have to be carried around. They can't go on their own. It says, Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also is it in them to do good. An idol can't do good, it can't do evil. It's really nothing. But notice how God says, don't even learn the way of the heathen. A heathen, really, one of the definitions of a heathen in the Bible is a foreign person. So are all foreign people heathen? Well, when it would refer to a foreign person, that was referring to a people of another nation and especially of another God. And the Jews were really the only ones serving the true God. There was a few people here and there that we read about throughout the Old Testament, but they weren't supposed they weren't supposed to learn their ways. In Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 9, it says, "When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt not, or thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess, hearken unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, with a capital P, from the midst of thee, and of thy brethren like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken. Who's that talking about? That's talking about Jesus. God told him, I'm going to raise up somebody and that was Jesus Christ. But God said, don't even live among these people. I'm going to drive them out of the land. And we see throughout the Old Testament, many times they would make alliances with these people and it always came back to haunt them later. God was always pleased with the kings that would drive out 
certain people and, and uh, the Canaanites. And one of the kings was commended for driving. Uh, he got rid of all the sodomites. And so, uh, you know, the question is: So is that what we're supposed to do? Are we not even supposed to live among heathen people? Do we need to go move out west somewhere and get a compound going and only allow Christian people in there? And uh, you know, do we in our country? And I tell you, there's people that believe because we were founded as a Christian nation, I think that we need to literally go and do some of these things. I mean, back in the old days here in America, they burnt witches at the stake. It says in the Old Testament, "Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live." Uh, I mean, all, you know, they're not even supposed to have these people. Home. They kill them, they drive them out. Is that what we're supposed to do? Do we need to take all the sodomites and go and hurt them all, to, and you know, send them to Canada or something like that? Is that what we're is that what we're called to do as Christians? Though it is a little different now. God in the Old Testament, God did. He told them, "Don't want them among you. Don't learn their ways. Don't let them live in your land." But in the New Testament, it is different now. And we, and there's some verses I think prove that. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are, if you're saving here today, you're, you're a separate nation. Okay? We're not just Americans here, even though we are Americans, but we are uh, we're a holy nation. We're a peculiar people. That and peculiar it doesn't just mean weird. In this context, it means a set apart for a specific purpose. Okay, we are specifically meant for something completely different than lost people are meant for. And it says in verse ten, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. See, we weren't born. Into this, okay. We weren't born into. You're not born into Christianity. You might have been born in a Christian home, but you have to get saved. And uh, and there some here. Uh, I think Menezes didn't. You have a Catholic background and your and uh, your history, but you know God saved you out of that. And before you were a separate nation, and not just because of the Mexican part. All right, you were separate, and even if you were born in America, but God saved you, and now you're. Of a holy nation that is more important, I believe, than even being uh, being American. And he says, um, and thank God, anybody can be a part of this nation that we're talking about. Anybody can be saved. Anybody can be a part of this holy nation. And then it says, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Okay, we're strangers around here. We uh, we did a video skit when I was at Lighthouse called Strangers, and it was where all of these group got together and thought there were aliens living among them, and uh, I, you know, there was they were watching this guy. It was me, and I was different than everybody else. And it was because I was a Christian. I was a stranger, uh, pilgrim. And that's really what we are. We're different than the world. We're just here temporarily, but we're supposed to be live among the world, but not be of the world. And so, the beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, among the Gentiles. Notice it says that among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, if we got to run all these people out of our nation, or if we've got to go live separate somewhere, how are they going to see our good works? Okay, it's clear that God wants us living among 
the lost people, but He wants us to be different than those who are lost. And I believe that we are. You know, we live in, we're living amongst the heathen. We're greatly outnumbered in this world today by far. We're not supposed to go move out and start a compound somewhere. God wants us here. Matthew 5.16 He said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We need to be seen among the lost. We need to work among them. And at the same end, so God's call us to do that. Romans 12, verse 17 says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. God knew it was going to be hard. So he said, I mean, do your best. And it says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. As mad as we get at the government sometime, we don't need to go blowing up government buildings. Okay, Let God take care of them. Don't recompense evil for evil. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. Maybe we could use that for paying our taxes. <laughs> our government's hungry right now. Guess we got to. Guess we got to feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So here we see that you know we're talking about protecting innocence, and in the Old Testament we can see how it would have been a lot easier if. You've got if you're driving all the heathen out of the land. If you're in an area where I mean, can you imagine if let's say the whole town of Rock Falls and Sterling was 100% Christians, all that lived here, and imagine an area this big and it's pretty far to some of the next towns. If you got to go on foot, okay, and can you imagine if we all walked around like they did or rode camels and things? We're not going to be going. Visiting, you know, Dixon and uh, even some of these closer towns that much because that'd be too far to walk, and so it would be really easy if everybody's Christians to keep the innocence going, wouldn't it? But um, you know, and back in the Old Testament, that's how God wanted Israel was a special nation. You keep those heathens out of your land. Don't learn their ways. That would be easy to do too. How back then? How are you going to learn the ways of the heathen unless you go and travel? a long distance, which would be against their laws probably, to go and live among these people that are basically your enemies. You're kind of putting yourself in danger as a Jew by even going to some of these places. How It would be very hard to learn their ways. But now, what do we have to do to learn the way of the heathen? We can turn on a television set and we can see what culture has become. You can go on the internet and you can learn whatever you want about whatever type of people you want. It's all right there. And unfortunately, young people, sometimes they get curious and they get to looking at that stuff. And you can even communicate with these people you know, through things like Facebook and stuff. I mean, you can get to know, you can make friends with any type of person anywhere in the world. And you know, I guess there's good friends out there, but there's some really bad ones too. And so, in this world we live in, how in the world are now... And then we read all these New Testament verses about letting our light shine among people. How can we stay innocent if we've got to live among the heathen? If we've got to work among the heathen? I mean, you all know how it is. You go, you go out there in public, and I mean, especially in the workplace, and you hear the vile language that's used. 
and you, the horrible things that people talk about. How in the world do you keep your innocence? How do you keep your kids innocent? How is this even possible? What can what can we even do? And the first thing I think we need to do is one, just simply teach them, train them to look away. Train them to look away. And we're not going to take time to read the story, but in Genesis chapter 19, we read the story about when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot should not have been living in that town. He should not have been living with those people. But he did. He lived with those people. And you know what happens when you start getting close, too close to the world. You start looking too close. At first, he just pitched his tent towards Sodom. But when you get to looking too close at what's going on in the world, it's only a matter of time before you're doing what everybody else is doing. Before you look like them. Before you talk like them. Before you act like them. It's only a matter of time. But they were saved people. They were righteous in God's sight. And God sent His angels there to protect them because He was going to destroy that city. And you remember what the angels said? Don't even look back. Don't look back. And they, of course, they're being drugged out of the city. The angels had to take them by the hand, God being merciful to them, drug them, kicking and screaming pretty much, out of the city. And remember Lot's wife, she turned back and turned into a pillar of salt. She didn't want to leave that place. Why wouldn't you want to leave that place? You know, I believe the rapture is going to happen in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. But you know, I think that if the rapture was a slow process, and I think people would turn back and look, wait, where are we going? I gotta leave this place. We ought to be anxious for the Lord to return. And I think people, boy, if, if it was a slow process and you look back and got turned into a pillar of salt in the rapture, I think there'd be a lot of people turned into a pillar of salt. Just attached to this world. Way too attached. We've got to, we've got to learn to just train our young people. Just, just don't look. Don't look. You can't walk through them all without them seeing all kinds of indecency. You can't even go through a checkout line at Walmart without nudity all over the place. It's it's everywhere. You can't during the summertime you can't even drive down the road without seeing people dressed or I guess I should say undressed and in indecent fashion. You there's you've got to teach them to look away, but at the same time you'll be careful where you go. You know, I'm I'm sorry, but you know, if you want to teach your kids to look away from nudity, you know, going to the beach in the summertime might not be a good idea. Taking to the public pool, probably not a real good idea. It's going to be really hard to look away because every direction you look, it's going to be there. And sometimes we got to be we got to be careful where we go. And said so now we can go anywhere, learn and we can learn about any culture with television, phones, internet. Listen, there's, uh, you know, the homosexual agenda is really being shoved down our throats. And, you know, there was a time most people didn't know a whole lot about that. There was a time, uh, when it came to things even that just corrupt the minds and pervert people, things like pornography, you had to literally go to some part of town that, you know, nobody wanted to be seen in, in the dark of night, and go to some nasty, dirty, hole in the wall to find some of these things. Now, you can do it right there in your in your own house. Kids, I mean, so if, if you give your kids a phone, boy, I'd be very careful with that thing. I definitely wouldn't let them have internet on that thing. They have a cell phone or a tablet or anything with Wi-Fi. You know, there's Wi-Fi everywhere now. 
And they can go and find garbage and they don't even have to leave their home with the tools that we have. Back in the day, Dinah, she got in trouble. You know, if kids are determined, they're going to get in trouble. If they are bound to determine, they're going to get in trouble. Dinah got in trouble, but she did. She had to leave her father's house. She had to go off among another group of people to get in trouble. Now, they can get in trouble right there in their bedroom. Just because of the technology and things we have. It is very dangerous. Don't let them have these tools before they're ready. Don't do it. I know you might sound like the worst parent in the world if your kid's 12 years old and they haven't got a cell phone yet. But you know what? Oh well. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to raise a little pervert. Okay, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. And you know, my kids, I'm just not going to let them have those things. They're not, they're not ready. They, they, and we've got to train them to just look away. There's some things we just don't look at, and it needs to just be instinctive. But these days, I said, it blows my mind what I hear about parents watching with their children. I remember on the bus route in LaSalle, we had these two little kids that would, I had to get on to them all the time because of the movie. They were always talking about movies. And these little kids watched horrible, horrible movies. And I was like, did your mom know you were watching that? She was watching it with us. Yeah, she buys these things for him. And her, their, their little boy, this little boy, he was, he was like seven or eight, but he looked like he was about four or five. Real little kid, cute kid. And, I mean, he, he kind of had the baby talking voice and everything. But man, that kid was as rotten as all get out. And we had to kick him off the bus because he would get on there and he'd get mad and he would just start using filthy language. I wonder where he learned that. He was using language my kids would not have understood. And you know where he got? In his house. I'm pretty sure probably some of it was from his mom. She wasn't the most pleasant of characters in the world. But I know a lot of it was from the television. They watched no limits, no restrictions. You know, computers, the internet, they laid no restrictions on these things, no supervision whatsoever. And they wonder why there's so many perverts in the world. We've got to teach them. We got to teach them to look away. Hey, there's some things we don't look at. You don't do that. I remember one time I was in Walmart, and it was kind of funny. There was it was it was when I was still in the South, and there was a pastor. Uh, I knew this guy was a pastor. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't a Baptist church. It was another church in town. And I remember it was funny because they're going out, and he's chewing his son out for looking at some of the magazines that were there. It's like, you don't look at that stuff. What is wrong with you? You know, why do you, <laughs> he's just, he's just getting all over his case for it. You know what he's trying to do? Teach him, look away. But dad, it's right there. Just don't look. And, uh, we've got, we've got to train them to do that. And if you're bringing the stuff to your house and displaying it in front of them, why are they going to need to look away? I've noticed that with my kids before when we've been out in public and certain Things appear, you know, that'll just stuff will be there, and I've just, I've kind of seen them just do, you know, just kind of, you know, it, it'll almost scare them, and they look away. Like, I'm not supposed to see that, <laughs> you know. And I, I'm glad, I'm glad they do that. That that pleases me when I see that because it needs. We've you've got to you've got to instill that in them and teach them to look away because our sin nature says look, and you, we've got to, we've got to teach them that. Also, the other thing we need to not do is don't try to understand. 
the ways of the heathen. Don't try to understand it. Well, we just we need to understand these people and figure them out and know why they do the things we do. No, actually, we don't. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, uh, let's see, I don't know if I don't down. Let me turn there. I won't quote it right. Proverbs 22, verse 24, it says, Make no friendship with an angry man and with the furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare unto thy soul. When we start to understand other people, especially when it comes to perverted things, we are now in danger of falling into that same mess. Listen, there are some things, you know, some of the things that kids are doing these days, they should not even know about them. They should not even know about these things. And it's like, you know, it's impossible for a child who is completely innocent in that area to get involved in that type of sin. They don't know about it. And unfortunately, because, and a lot of it is just through the sex education and things they're getting in the public schools, it is, they're basically teaching them things they're just not ready to learn. They're not ready to understand. And I tell you, in, I tell you, in the public school, man, I, I, I do, I pray, I pray for Emily, and I, I'm amazed at how your kids have turned out. I mean, because, and listen, it is possible, even among that, but it is difficult because of what they're exposed to. But we, we need to understand, we don't need to understand why they do what we do. We don't need to understand. You know, I could understand drug addicts better if I went and did drugs for a while. But I don't think that's what God wants for me. You know, I don't understand. I don't understand serial killers. I don't understand how somebody could go and take another person's life. But you know, I probably would if I went and did it. But you know, I think I'll just I'll be fine with not knowing. I'll be fine with not understanding the perverts out there. You know, if I expose myself to the things that they expose themselves to on a regular basis, I would probably understand them. I would probably know why they do what they do, but you know what? I think I'm better off not knowing. I'd rather don't try to understand. All we need to understand is that they're lost and they need Jesus Christ as Savior. That's what we need to understand. That's hey, that's what our kids. That's all they need to understand. Hey, you know why they do it? They don't know Jesus as their Savior. They don't understand what they're doing is a sin, and that Jesus had to die on the cross for that sin. They don't need to understand it. They just need to understand they're lost and that they need to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. There are some things that you have to experience in order to understand. But if you've experienced it, you're no longer innocent, are you? So, you know, I'm glad I don't have to worry about... I can't imagine if I, even if I ever did kill somebody, you'd always have that in your mind. But what if they find out someday? I've told the story here before. I remember hearing on the radio about a guy who had, he had killed somebody like 30 years before. I mean, it had been years before. And somehow through some forensic evidence with the new technologies and things they have, they figured out who did it all these years later. And the police showed up at his house. And when they did, they didn't even say anything yet. And he's like, I knew you'd find out eventually. He did. He lived with that his whole life, just kind of waiting for the day when they'd come knocking on his door. And they finally did. And you know, I'm glad I don't have to worry about that. I'm glad I don't have to experience I'm innocent of murder. You know, I don't have to worry about the consequences of it. And uh that's that's a good feeling. I don't want to carry that weight 
around with me. And I tell you, there's so many sins out there. And young people, it's like you get these parents say, well, they need to sow their wild oats. That's foolish. Okay, now that's just they sow their wild oats. They're going to have to reap them. They go try all those sins out. They got to carry the weight that comes with those sins. And we've that is a horrible idea. We need to protect their innocence for as long as possible. But then the third thing, and I think this is the key to protecting our innocence. And when I say protecting innocence, it's not necessarily just keeping them from knowing about certain sins. Because like I said, that's almost impossible in today's day and age that we live in. And God has commanded us to live among the world. We live among the heathen. We're supposed to shine His lights among the heathen. But I believe that the best way to keep yourself innocent though, that means innocent from actually doing these things that the world is doing. I think we find that in James chapter 5 in verse 19. A verse I think kind of illustrates it a little bit. But it says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. doesn't mean if you lead somebody to Christ, I don't believe it means that you cover a multitude of your sins, but you've just stopped the multitude of sins. They One, they got saved from their sins. So their sins now have been covered by the blood of Christ. But now, they've been converted. They've turned from the error of their way. They're not going to be doing those sins anymore. And I believe that the best way to keep yourself innocent from the sins of the world is to be actively fighting for the souls of the lost. Actively fighting against sin. You know, I think that's probably one of the reasons Emily has done well uh, in her school, the simple fact that she is setting an example, being a witness to people, taking that stand against sin and for right is what makes a difference. You know, an army that only defends itself will eventually lose. If you're only defending yourself, you are eventually going to lose. There's families that do that. They get so scared about their kids getting involved in the world, they pull them out of absolutely everything. They go and move out in the country somewhere, never let them have any friends, never even want to go to church because all of them, you know, corrupt, hypocrite kids in the church. And you know what? Those people always lose their kids. Sometimes it's not until they're in their 20s, but they eventually will lose those kids because if you're only defending, you're eventually going to lose. The enemy is eventually going to wear you down. I don't care how tough you are. You could be toughest person in the world, but I can beat you up if you don't fight back. Eventually, I'm going to wear you down. I mean, you might be able to take a punch way better than me, but if you don't fight back, eventually, I'll get you. It will it'll only be a matter of time. And we cannot just defend our family. We've got to be actively fighting against sin. We've got to be actively trying to win the loss. The fight is what keeps us Focused. You know, the, the casualties, they remind us of the cost of sin. When we see, when we're, when we're fighting against sin, when we're going and we're, you know, we're, we know what the Bible says, we're telling other people what it says, and then we see people fall prey to that sin, you know what it does? It reminds us how serious that sin is. 
If you're going and you're fighting against it, when I was in detention home, all that time I'm there witnessing these kids, I'm seeing the results of sin in a person's life. I'm seeing the results of, of drugs on people's lives. And you know what? I mean, going to the detention home, it really, in a, in a lot of ways, I guess you could say mentally I lost some innocence going there because things were revealed to me there that I just did not know went on in people's lives. I had no idea about that. But you know what? Because I was going there and preaching to these kids and witnessing to those kids, for some reason... That all, everything that I heard about from there, it just made me not want to have anything to do with it more than anything. I mean, drugs. I, I don't even. I don't even understand the temptation of it. I've seen what it does way too much. Not interested. Absolutely, I'm just not interested one bit. And that, it's, that fight it keeps us focused. When you see somebody fall, it reminds you just how important this fight is. I can't imagine being fighting in a real. War where there's shooting and bombs going off, but you know what? You see somebody get blown up or shot, it's going to get you focused real quick. I'm going to guess. I mean, it's going to get you paying attention to what's going on. You're going to take that enemy very serious. And say, when we're fighting against sin, when we're among the people in the world and we're seeing what's happening, it will keep us focused, and we're not going to want to have anything to do with that. We're just not we're not going to be interested. But the fellow warriors that we have, they keep us motivated. When you see other people fighting against sin, when you see people in the church taking stand against sin, when I hear about you know when I hear about people that are in difficult situations and they're still doing the right thing, still being a witness, still fighting for it motivates me. Man, I can't give up now. There's people out there that are still fighting. I've got to be fighting too, and that fight is what keeps us focused. It keeps us doing the right thing. It keeps us understanding just how bad that sin is and it makes us hate it even more. And that's the sin. We've got, we've got to hate. Not the sinner. We've got to hate that sin. We've got to hate it. Otherwise, if we just ignore it, eventually, they're going to win us over. So we've been wore down with a lot of sin in this world. I, the other day I'm at work in the break room and they had they had this thing come on there. So CNN, boy, CNN, that bunch of filth. <laughs> it was on there, and they were they were interviewing these two guys that had some video proposal. You know, the guy proposed to the other guy, and they did some stupid dance thing was going on. It it made me sick. I got up and went in the other room, and watched, they had Sports Center in there. But I'd rather watch Sports Center. Than this, it just it made me sick, and the way the news media just oh this is so beautiful, this is so wonderful. I'm like I'm going to lose my lunch, <laughs> and, and it's just though. But you know what? You know I'm I fighting I'm fighting against that stuff. I'm speaking out against that stuff, and I don't. Maybe that's why I'm still not interested. Maybe that's why I'm still just not. You know I, I still hate it, and I'm not being influenced by that thing. We've got to fight it. And fellow warriors will help keep us motivated. But then the last thing, I think this is the biggest thing, that if we do this, it will help keep our kids innocent, and that is to teach them to lay up treasures in heaven. What did Jesus say? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know what's what many parents are doing with the parents that do make a strong attempt to parent their kids and give them everything they want? 
You know what they're kind of telling their kids? They say, this world has a lot to offer you. Look at all the money that's out there. Look at all these possession and toys and cars and things that you can get. And they're trying to give them all the goods of this world. They'll give them all the best Christmas presents. They'll give them all the cell phones and the tablets. They'll give them all these things that are only going to corrupt their minds and get them farther away from God and cause them to lose innocence. However, but if we teach them to lay up treasures in heaven, if we teach them that what's really important is in heaven, it's in the work you do that for God, it's going to lay up treasures there, then that's where their heart's going to be. Their heart's going to be on the things of God. Their heart's going to be on their treasures in heaven. If you're working for the praise of man and the lust of the flesh, you're going to fall for sure. But if, you're, if your whole life said, so if we could get our kids at a young age busy just serving God, really, when it, when it comes to me, Honestly, I really don't know what else I could do other than serve God. And I guess I could try doing some things to make a lot of money, but personally, I don't think I'd be real good at it. You know, second of all, I know enough, I've learned enough about the Bible and life to know that it's probably not going to make me real happy. I mean, I'd enjoy it a little bit. <laughs> but um, I, honestly, I, I don't have anything else to do. I really don't. My, I'm 33 years old and said most of what I have is in heaven or with the family that God has given me and in this church. I don't have anywhere else to turn to, so I might as well just keep on serving Him. And you know, like I think I mentioned this this morning, the longer you do something like that, the longer, the easier it is to keep doing it. The longer you fight sin, the harder it's going to be for you to go and get involved in that sin. And I believe the best way to protect the innocence of the children is to be actively fighting against sin. We've got to be winning souls. We've got to be setting an example. I mean, you all need to keep having these kids in your house and showing them how to have a good family. That what you're doing there, you're fighting what the world's doing, and it's going to help keep you focused because you understand that hey, this this family and doing right, it's not just for us; it's for others too that need to see this. And that right there will help protect you when you're te- when you're tempted to sin and when you're tempted to fall and give up. Wait, there's other people counting on me. There's other people that are watching what I'm doing. I've got to do. The right thing. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to fall for that sin. But most most people, they have absolutely nothing that they're living for other than fulfilling the lust of the flesh, and that's why they're miserable. And we need we need to make sure that we don't allow that in our children's lives. So let's all stand together.